Well, good morning. Welcome to Word of Life Chapel this morning. We're so glad that you could join us. Um, a couple of announcements to share with you this morning before uh, we, go, we go on in our service. First of all, the Northern Dauphin Christian School 5K race and cook-off is on November 14th. Um, that's here at the church. It's a lot of fun if you haven't done it before. Um, goes to a good cause. It's worth coming out. And some people walk the 5K. Some people run the 5K. And there's a chili cook-off, too. Where's, where's Jim? Are you entering the chili this year? <laughs> Jim's world-famous chili. Might be there, might not. Worth the, it's worth it, though. Worth coming out just in case it is. Um, it may seem early, but Christmas is going to be here very quickly. Um, in Sunday school, someone said that Christmas is only a month away. Um, that's, <laughs> that's a little scary to think about, how fast time is going. But um, as far as the poinsettias go, they need to be in by November 15th. Your order forms need to be in by November 15th. Also, Operation Christmas Child, the boxes need to be returned by November 15th. That's two weeks from now. Um, some of you might know Paul and Jamie Wilhelmson. They actually haven't visited the church here yet, but they live in Bolivia. They're a, a new family that the church just began to support as missionaries last year. Um, we were able on our last mission trip to go down and actually to spend some time with them, and they sent a card that they would like to read to the church family. It says, Dear Church Family, we wanted to thank you again for all of the prayer and financial support that you send our way. It's such a wonderful blessing to us. It was so nice to meet some of you when you were here in Bolivia for the missions trip. You were all so welcoming and kind to us. Thank you for the love and encouragement that you gave. We will look forward to seeing you again and meeting others from the church as well. God bless you all, the Wilhelmsons. And they sent this picture of their family. We're going to post it in the bulletin board so that you'll be able to go and see it. Let's open our service with prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, God, you are great. And God, we thank you that you are great, Father. We thank you that you love us and that you care about us. And God, that you are in control of everything. Lord, we ask this morning that this service just glorifies your name. Father, draw us closer to you because we want to experience more of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's take a few moments to stand up, step out, turn around, shake a hand, welcome those around you to our service this morning. fourth stanza that way those in junior church can be dismissed stanza four God speed the day when those are every nation glory to God triumphantly and ransom the redeemed rejoicing in salvation
Last week, we took a look at the tribulation period. Uh, We said that it's going to be seven years in which there will be widespread bloodshed as well as war. There will be famine and death. During the beginning of the tribulation period, there will be a quarter of the population killed. There will then be a great earthquake that will threaten many more lives. And people will be well aware that they are falling under the wrath of Almighty God. As a matter of fact, it says at the end of chapter 6 that they will try to hide. They would rather have the mountains and the rocks fall upon them rather than have the wrath of God fall upon them. And then we read at the very end of chapter 6 and verse 17, the great day of wrath has come and who can stand the great day of wrath has now come and who can stand who will survive will anyone be able to survive the wrath of God through those seven years will anyone be saved during these seven years of tribulation We know that God is not willing that any should perish, and certainly not all during the tribulation period will perish. As a matter of fact, we will look this morning at the great revival that will take place during these seven years. The greatest revival on earth will take place during the time we call the tribulation period. The greatest revival the world has ever seen. When I open the chapter in Revelation, chapter 7, I find three phases of evangelism during this day. We're going to look at chapter 7, and then we're going to conclude by looking at chapter 11. Um, We're going to try and combine both of those together. We're trying to gain a sermon in this series. And so we're going to combine this, today's, and next week's um, and look at these two chapters together. I see three phases of evangelism that takes place during these seven years of tribulation. The first one is found in the opening verses of chapter 7. The 144,000 Jews that God will seal During these seven years. Follow with me as I read verses 1 through 4. After this. After what? Well back in chapter 6. The six seals were just opened. Great devastation. War. Famine. Death. Earthquakes. After all of this. I saw. This is John. I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out 
in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Let me stop there. John looks and he sees four angels holding back the four winds. Wind oftentimes in the Bible uh, is symbolic of judgment. Judgment. We know that judgment is going to fall upon the earth under the wrath of Almighty God. But here we discover that they're holding back the four winds. I believe the number four stands for the, uh, the directions north, south, east, and west. We're looking at the entire earth. And he sees these four angels at the four corners of the earth holding back judgment. Now remember, chapter 6 was all about judgment. It was all about warfare and bloodshed and death. Now we read that everything is to be put on hold, at least the judgments. For a period of time, judgment is to be put on hold. And we'll discover that if you turn over to chapter 8, the seventh seal, remember there's seven um, judgments in a series of three judgments. For example, there are seven seals, seven trumpet judgments in chapter 8, and then the bowl judgments in chapter 16. Sevenfold judgments. Seal 7 does not start until chapter 8. Chapter 7 it seems to be a parenthesis. As though God is going to hold judgment for a moment until these 144,000 are sealed. This seal is going to be put on their foreheads and we read that these are from the tribes of Israel. Now a seal um, in, in these days was a metal stamp uh, maybe a signet ring uh, that a king wore on his finger. And what they would do is they would take that ring or that metal stamp and they would press it uh, into clay. Uh, they might press it into hot wax. And of course, what was ever on that ring or on that stamp would be placed in that hot wax. It signified several things. Uh, for example, it signified ownership. We today, I guess they still do that, they brand cattle. Uh, if you live on a ranch and you don't want your cattle to get lost at another rancher's cattle, you put a brand on it signifying you own this. This is your cattle. So the seal signifies ownership. It also spells out authority. A king oftentimes had his seal and he would put it on a letter or a note and if you saw his seal, it indicated his authority. The seal also signified protection. Back in uh, chapter 5, and we didn't look at that closely, but it was there that 
the one sitting on the throne, remember in chapter 4, he held in his hand a scroll. And no one could come and take that scroll from his hand. It says no one was found worthy except then the Lamb of God, the, the, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He was able to come and, and take the scroll from his hand. And we read in chapter 6 that the Lamb, Jesus Christ himself, he was the one that opened the six seals one by one because he was worthy. He had the authority to do so. There was a sense of protection in that seal until Jesus was able to open each of those. We don't know exactly what this seal is, but on the forehead, a seal was placed on the 144,000. Back in Revelation chapter 13, uh, we're going to look at that chapter next week. It speaks there of the mark of the beast, where there will be a mark of the beast that will be on the forehead or even on the right hand. Here, the seal is in the forehead. Uh, it was Tim LaHaye in his commentary on the book of Revelation who believes that uh, believers during this time of tribulation, they will receive this mark of God, not just the 144,000, but they will receive the mark of God. And unbelievers during this time then will receive the mark of the beast. And he believes that once you receive a mark, it seals your fate. That at that point, you're either of the devil or of God. Now, these 144,000, although it does not say it here, they are God's evangelists. Most believe that. Most believe that uh, this group of Jews, and by the way, let me read to you what um, Dr. Dr. David Jeremiah uh, says regarding this. Um, you know, today we hear a lot of groups who claim to be of the 144,000. Uh, your Jehovah's Witnesses and other cults would say, well, this is us. It's us who will then be in heaven. But we're literalists, right? We believe the Bible is to be taken very literally. And when you read this, it says very clearly that the 144,000 are from the tribes of Israel. So when someone comes to you and says, uh, well, we're the 144,000, the first question you ask, are you Jewish? <laughs> because it's clear from the text. And by the way, you know, God, when he deals with Israel, the nation, he often deals with dates, does he not, and numbers. How many times does God in the Old Testament um, tell Israel to count or, or to have a census. Uh, the fact that God here speaks of 144,000 and then takes the time in verse 5, 6, 7, and 8 to mention each of the tribes and saying that each of these tribes or from each of these tribes are 12,000 clearly indicates that these are from Israel. Dr. David Jeremiah says this, he says, the full number of Gentiles will come in at the moment of the time when the church is removed by the rapture. He just spoke about Romans chapter 11 and verse 25 where it speaks about, <coughs> excuse me, not being ignorant, uh, that Israel's hardening um, is just in part. Uh, that uh, God is going to temporarily set aside Israel. 
uh, until the full number of Gentiles comes in. Uh, you know, God has numbers in his mind about how many are going to be saved during the church age. And when that last person comes to Christ, Jesus comes back. So he says the full number of Gentiles will come at a moment in time when the church then is removed at the rapture. Then God's special focus and blessing will shift back to Israel. Remember, I said before that uh, the tribulation period is primarily, there are other purposes, but primarily it's to get Israel to receive Jesus as her Messiah. She already rejected Jesus one time when he came and offered himself to the nation. But they won't reject him the second time. And this is during this great tribulation period. God's focus now shifts back to Israel. Spirit-filled Jewish evangelists will evangelize the whole world in seven years. Why are these 144,000 sealed? As we see the judgments of the tribulation becoming more and more severe. And I said last week that we looked at the seven or the six seals, the trumpet judgments in chapter 8 are more severe than the seals, and the bowl judgments in chapter 16 are even more severe than the trumpet judgments. So as the tribulation progresses, the destruction becomes more severe. And so he says that here. He says as we see these judgments during the tribulation period becoming more and more severe, the hatred of the Antichrist and his followers increasing, doesn't it make sense that God would protect his own until their work is finished? So God's going to seal them. Just as the three Hebrew children were kept alive in the fire, who were they? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember? Just as God kept them alive in the fire, so these sealed Jews will be protected throughout the last seven years before the return of Christ. God is going to send them for a powerful task. These Jews will preach the gospel in such a way that multitudes, multitudes will believe. Which brings us to point number two in the three phases of evangelism. Notice the great multitude beginning at verse 9. After this, uh, John loves that word. Um, it, it's a word, it's a time word. After these 144 are sealed, he says, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could even count. From every, every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Jump down to verse 13. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? <laughs> and I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. 
They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So here's John, and he says, after the sealing of these 144,000, he sees a great multitude. He sees a number of people who he cannot even count. He sees them from every tribe, every nation, every language. And then later on, one of the elders, and by the way, the elders we were introduced to back in chapter 4. Remember, God was sitting on the throne, and surrounding the throne were 24 elders. And I said that those elders represent the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints. Old Testament in that there were 12 tribes, New Testament saints, there were 12 disciples. So these 24 represent the saints of the ages. But one of these elders comes to John and says, who are these new guys? (laughs) He sees this multitude and they're all dressed in white robes. And he says to John, I know the Old Testament saints, I recognize them. I I know the New Testament saints, I, I recognize them. But all of a sudden, here's this new group. Who are these new guys? And where did they come from, he says in verse 13. And then John says, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. And it says that they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You see... They chose Christ as their Savior during the tribulation period. There's going to be a great worldwide revival that takes place during the tribulation period. Some ask, well, how do they get saved? How does someone during the tribulation period, how do they, how do they get saved? And my answer to that is the same way you do. The same way you did when you asked Christ to come into your heart. By grace and through faith. It doesn't change. We know that everybody is saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses all sin. And that's the only way sin is cleansed. The greatest need of mankind today is the forgiveness of sins. And that only happens through the blood of Jesus. There is only one way. And that one way is not only in the church age, but it's also going to be during the tribulation age. Day is coming when we are called up to be in heaven, but during the tribulation age, the gospel will be, still be presented. And many will still come to Christ. Now, I said last week that if you do come to Christ, chances are you're going to be martyred. It is not going to be an easy time for a Christian during this time but you can still be saved. Now, I'm going to say a couple of things this morning that you might not agree with. That's okay. Sometimes we just need to stir things up a little bit. Maybe you haven't even thought about these things, but you know, when I was growing up, um, there were some things that I was taught, and I, I thank God for my upbringing in this church. I believe it or not, I grew up in this church. Uh, so I go back uh, pretty far. Um, but I know that I was taught things as I grew up in Sunday school and church, um, and I would believe what I was taught because the men and women that taught me were trustworthy. They knew the Word of God. I didn't have a reason to question. But there are some things that, you know, later on I said, is that really true? 
Um, and so, you know, later on, I began to question some things and went to Bible college and seminary. And my seminary actually uh, taught you how to think, how to question things. Uh, it didn't change my mind in a lot of areas, but there are a couple of little things that um, I changed my mind. And so I'm going to share a couple of those things with you this morning. And you can let me have it at the door when you leave. That's fine. You know, you don't have to agree with everything I say. I don't have, a, you know, the answers to everything that's found in the book of Revelation. I don't claim to know all of this. Uh, I'm studying as you study as well. Um, but let me just mention a couple things now that I've uh, introduced um, and probably have your attention a little bit more than what I had uh, five minutes ago. Have you ever heard the statement that all people in the world today must hear the gospel before Jesus comes back in the rapture? You know what passage there, what pass, where you find that passage? The proof text that's in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, however, deals with a tribulation period. Look at Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14. Look at Matthew 24 and verse 14. Remember, we're talking about the tribulation period in the context, right? And verse 14 says this. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world. The whole world. As, the, as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. What end? We're in a tribulation period. You see, I believe that the gospel is going to be preached to the whole world. But it's going to be during the tribulation period. I believe that during the tribulation period, God has just sealed 144,000 Jewish evangelists. And we're going to look in just a moment that he has two other men in, in Revelation chapter 11 who are his witnesses. And I believe that during the tribulation period, this is the time when the gospel is going to pre be presented to the whole world. That's why we have such a great revival. That's why when John looks, he sees a multitude that is innumerable. He can't count the numbers from every tribe and people and language. That doesn't mean we ought not be diligent today. That doesn't mean we ought not be out there preaching the gospel today. But if I understand the context of Matthew 24 correctly, the gospel is going to be preached during the tribulation period to the entire world. And then the end comes. That is the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, if you disagree with that one, here's a good one. If you heard the gospel and refused it during this church age, you don't get a second chance in the tribulation. The proof text is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Again... <laughs> The context of what I'm going to read is we're in the tribulation period. It doesn't speak about, you know, before that, during the church age. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9. There is the coming of the lawless one, and he's going to be, uh, will be in accordance with how Satan works. He's going to use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refused to love the truth. And so be saved. For this reason, God is even going to send a powerful delusion. So that they will believe the lie. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth. 
but have delighted in wickedness. It does say that the Antichrist is going to send, uh, are going to uh, work miracles. He's going to deceive those who are perishing. It even says that, that God is going to send a powerful delusion. But it doesn't say that this, these are the church, this is the church age. What is the lie that's being referred to here? The lie that Antichrist is Christ. When does he do that? Halfway through the mid-tribulation the period. So even if this, is, this takes place, this powerful delusion, you at least have three, the first three and a half years before Antichrist tries to get people to believe the lie and God sends the strong delusion. I, I don't see any place in the Bible where there is a clear statement that says if you refuse the gospel today, you don't get a second chance later. As a matter of fact, when I think about my God, I think of a God of second chances. God is a God who has always given second chances. Think of Jonah and the Ninevites and all of that. I just don't see a clear statement in Scripture that, that helps us say that, that if you already have rejected today, then you don't get a second chance then. If you have a Scripture passage, I would love to see it. I would love to see it, um, but I just don't see, as you enter into the tribulation period, God's saying there's a point of no return, except if it's halfway through the tribulation. It might be halfway through, and that's what I think this is referring to here. Anyway, having said all of that, let's move to point number three. Point number three, go back to the book of Revelation, look at Revelation chapter 11. Three, phases, three uh, phases of evangelism, 144,000, they've been sealed. Multitudes have already come to Christ. Numbers that cannot be counted. These two, I suppose, would be evangelizing and spreading the gospel. So we've got a worldwide revival that's taking place right now. And now in chapter 11 of Revelation, uh, we find two witnesses... Uh, look at verses uh, 1 through 6. <clears throat> I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city, Jerusalem, for 42 months. And I will appoint my two witnesses... And they will prophesy for 1,260 days. By the way, 42 months, 30 days in a month, comes to 1,260 days or three and a half years. So we're talking about the first half of the tribulation period. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands. And they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them... Fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Here are two witnesses and we're introduced to them here. But many believe that they really came on the scene at the very beginning of the tribulation period. 
that we're just now being introduced to them. That this is another one of those parentheses uh, between two chapters. Um, and many also believe, because when we speak of the 144 that are sealed, the question comes, how did they get saved? Because remember, they wouldn't be sealed except that they've already accepted Christ as their Messiah. So some believe that the two witnesses, they actually are introduced here in chapter 11, but they came on the scene very early on during the tribulation period, right after the rapture, and these two were actually instrumental in bringing the 144,000 sealed Jews to Christ. They have a ministry of three and a half years, and um, many will uh, commonly will, will uh, identify them as uh, Old Testament saints. I've heard uh, Moses was suggested, Enoch, um, Elijah. There's some Old Testament saints who they believe uh, these two witnesses are. Uh, the argument for Enoch and Elijah is because they never died. Enoch walked with God and he was not. Do you remember that story? And then Elijah, he was taken up into a whirlwind. And some say, well, then it's those two who would never die because the Bible says that it's appointed unto man wants to die. And they haven't died, so they've got to come back. Um, some believe it's Moses because Moses was able, as we know, back in Exodus, he was able to change the water into blood. You remember that? And the power that's given to these two witnesses um, very similar to the power that Moses experienced and had back in the book of Exodus. Um, I read one commentary, go to the next one, this person thinks it's this. And to, to be honest, I have no idea. I don't know who, who it could be. Or even if we know who it's going to be. Maybe it's not an Old Testament saint. Uh, some believe that it's uh, two who came to Christ right after the rapture. Uh, two men that God just 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 placed his hand upon they came to christ he he sealed them he said you're going to be my witnesses and they went out prophesying and gave him power like no one's had power before i don't know if we know exactly who they're going to who they are i think it's more important what they do than who they are these were two men who preached the gospel with power these were two men like the apostle paul it was not ashamed of the gospel, but with great boldness. He, they, they walked the streets and proclaimed the gospel. And I believe, again, they were instrumental in this great multitude, this great revival that has taken place uh, or that will take place during this tribulation period. They have power to prophesy. They have power to devour their enemies if the enemy comes against them. It doesn't say they were sealed, but it does say that God said they will prophesy for 1260 days. That's in stone. When God says you're going to prophesy and be my witnesses for three and a half years, no one can harm them. No one can touch them. You know, there are verses in the Bible that I, I really enjoy. Um, I don't want to say that yet. I'm a little ahead of myself. Olive trees and lampstands. Do you see those mentioned here? Uh, they're like two olive trees and lampstands. The imagery suggests that um, the reason that their ministry is effective is because of the Spirit of God. Olive speaks of the Spirit. 
and um, light stands speak of light. So here are two witnesses who um, are continually um, being anointed by God's Holy Spirit. There's a continual outpouring of God's Spirit into their lives. And the reason they're effective witnesses is because the Spirit of God has equipped them and given them the power to go and be His witnesses. And many will be saved. And many will be saved. I I like the fact that God says, you have a time in which I'm going to protect you. A God-appointed time. No one will harm you. The enemy cannot come against you. No one can touch you. No one can protect you. We've been studying the Hallelujah Psalms in uh, prayer meeting. And they're the last five Psalms in the book of Psalms. And they begin with praise the Lord and end with praise the Lord. And the word is Hallelujah. Hallel, praise, and Yah, short for Yahweh, the Lord. Praise the Lord. And we looked at Psalm 149 last time. And um, in 149, it spoke about Israel, who was given special honors by God. And we know that. They're God's chosen people. And so God gave them special honors and blessings. And one of the things it says in Psalm 149 is this. God said to Israel that you will be uh, those who will carry out judgment against other nations. You, Israel. You are going to be my hands to carry out judgment against nations. And the verse in 149.9 says this, to carry out the sentence that is written against them. You, Israel, you are going to carry out my sentence against these foreign nations that has been written against them. And I was... Uh, looking at the footnote in the NIV Study Bible, I saw Larry come in with two under his arm. Uh, I use the NIV Study Bible a lot and I love the footnotes. And the footnote actually gave a reference to Psalm 139. Now, hang in there. Just follow this for a moment. In Psalm 139 and verse 16, it says, All the days ordained for me were written in your book. Now, we looked at that, I believe, well, months ago, maybe that was in prayer meeting, I'm not sure, that God has written in a book (laughs) all the days that we are going to spend here on earth. And the NIV Study Bible in the footnote under Psalm 139.16 says that this book is a heavenly royal register of all of God's decisions. Now think about this for a minute. In heaven, there is this royal register. And all of the decisions that God has ever made, and by the way, at the end of verse 39, it says, before even one of them came to be. In this royal register in heaven is written all the decisions that God has ever made. And in Psalm 139, it even speaks of the span of our lives. That God's got a number. I don't know what that number is for me. I don't know what that number is for you. But there's a number written down. Written down. And can't be changed. When I look at chapter 11 of Revelation, this number has been written down before the foundation of the world. 
God has said that for 1260 days, you will be my witnesses and nothing will touch you. Nothing can harm you until I say so. I think that applies to us. Not that we have 1260 days, but I believe nothing can touch me, nothing can harm me, nothing can inflict me unless God says so. Unless God says so. I don't know about you, but I like that. It reminds me of the book of Job. Remember when Satan had to go before God and ask permission to touch Job? Is that just Old Testament stuff? Or is that stuff for today? Does Satan still need permission to inflict, to harm, to touch us? I think so. You see, I believe God is sovereign. And he's sovereign over my life. He's sovereign over your life. He's sovereign over the life of these witnesses. And God says you've got 1,260 days. You have 42 months. You have three and a half years. But guess what happens? God then, after that time, he lifts his hand of protection. And what happens? Look at verse 7. Now when they had finished their testimony, after three and a half years, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them, will overpower them, and kill them. But not until God says so. Not until God lifts his hand of protection. He's already said, I'm going to protect you for three and a half years. You will be my witnesses. As soon as God lifts his hand of protection, Antichrist, well not Antichrist, because I believe the beast here, coming out of the abyss, is Satan himself. Next week we're going to look at Revelation 13. and We're going to read about a beast coming up out of the sea. I believe that's the Antichrist. We're going to read about a beast coming up out of the earth. That's a false prophet. Here we have a beast coming up out of the abyss. That's Satan. We have an unholy trinity trying to counterfeit the divine trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Satan himself comes up out of the abyss. He hates these two witnesses. He kills these two witnesses. And the Bible says they lay in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days. Think of the depravity of man allowing bodies just to lay there for three and a half days in the streets of Jerusalem. I believe the reason for that is that Antichrist wants people to know that he's won. Jesus didn't win. See, we were able to destroy these witnesses for Jesus. And then they hear the words after three and a half days, come up here. And the Bible says they were taken up into heaven. Now, let me just throw this out. I don't know if we have any mid-tribbers here, uh, but this is the, art, this is the passage that mid-trib uh, folks will use to say, well, see, it's not a rapture that takes place before the tribulation as we believe, but look. God has just taken these two witnesses up into heaven halfway through. This is the text that many would use to support that argument. They're taken up into heaven. Fear strikes the people. There's a severe earthquake in Jerusalem. One-tenth 
of the city collapses. 7,000 people in Jerusalem die. And fear fills and terrifies the people as they acknowledge the sovereignty of God over them. I want to conclude this way. Evangelism took place, or will take place. I keep saying took. I think back at the Bible, but evangelism during the Great Tribulation will take place uh, during these seven years. And it will be a, a, a huge evangelistic thrust bringing multitudes to a saving knowledge of Christ. Why was that? I, I read about the witnesses. It says that they were empowered by God's Spirit. Empowered by God's Spirit. They were unstoppable. Unstoppable. And they proclaimed the Word of God with boldness. And lives were changed. When I read in the book of Acts... It's interesting to me because in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is about ready to be taken out of this world. Jesus has come back to life. Jesus is about ready to ascend back into heaven. But he gives to his disciples instructions. Notice the instructions in Acts chapter 1. He says in verse 4, he says, Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father. Don't leave. I want you to be my witnesses, but I don't want you to go yet. Wait for the gift. What is the gift? Look at verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. Very similar language to Revelation chapter 11. These witnesses were my witnesses. And they were given this great power to be able to proclaim the gospel. You will receive power, Jesus says to the disciples. Don't go out and witness yet, but wait. Because the Spirit of God is going to come on you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. The apostles were to be God's witnesses. And as I followed through the book of Acts, and I read through all the passages where it said, my witnesses, you will be my witnesses. They were witnesses to Jesus' teachings. They were witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. He came back to life. They saw him after. They were witnesses to the person of Christ. And that was what they were to be witnesses of. When the Bible says, you are my witnesses, and by the way, we have the same power, the same Holy Spirit that is spoken about here, the same Holy Spirit spoken about in Revelation 11, is the exact same Holy Spirit that indwells you if you're a Christian this morning. You have that exact same power, and we have the same authority as the witnesses of God to go out and tell people about Christ. That's what we're called to do. We've been called by God to be His witnesses.
That's our mission. You can't do it in your own strength. It won't work. But when you go out in the power of God's Spirit, having been equipped by God Himself, and you speak and proclaim the name of Christ, there's a power behind that proclamation than you will ever understand. God is able to take that message, that gospel, and change a life through it. Chapter 11, they were God's witnesses of who Jesus is. Acts chapter 1, they were witnesses proclaiming who Jesus is. How are people saved? Same way they've been saved throughout all the ages. God has chosen to use His saints, His believers, to proclaim His message to a lost world. That's His plan. And God is counting on you, and God is counting on me to be evangelists, to share the message of Jesus. Our days are numbered. I don't know what that number is for you. I don't know what that number is for me. But I know when the rapture comes, or we leave this earth through death, the days of our witnessing is over. There's a number in heaven written. We have been called to share the good news today. I leave you with this question found in Romans chapter 10. How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they believe if they've never heard? See, your job, your responsibility, your ministry is to see that they have heard. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you this morning for the responsibility that is ours. The great and awesome task that you have given to us as your children, as your believers. Father, I pray that you might help us to be doing what we've been called to do. To preach the gospel to every creature. Father, it's not an easy thing to do. We understand that. It's not easy at work, at the lunch table, to share Christ with the other men and women who are there. Father, forgive us of, our, of, of being ashamed, of not taking advantage of opportunities when they come our way. And I ask that, Lord, you might cause and stir us Empower us. Give us that, that boldness of Paul, Father, to go and tell others of what you have done for us. Give us a vision, Lord, as we're going to sing in just a moment. A vision of a dying world. Father, we know that we don't have forever. We know that someday our Days of witnessing will be over. Lord, help us to do what we can do right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.
Take your hymn books, please, and turn with, with me to 485. 485, A Vision of a Dying World. We're going to sing stanza one and then stanza four. The first and last stanzas of this, of this song. A Vision of a Dying World. Let's stand together, please. The vision of a dying world is fast before our eyes. We feel the heartbeat of its need. We hear its feeble cries. Jesus Christ, revive thy church this her crucial hour. Lord Jesus Christ, awake thy church, spirit given power. The warning bell, judgment tolls, above us looms the cross. Around, how great, how great the loss. O Lord, constrain, move thy church the glad news to part. And Lord, as thou dost stir thy church, Father, that's our prayer. Not only give us a vision of a lost world, but Father, start to stir us. Stir us up. Start and begin in our hearts, Lord, to share the gospel with those around us. So we know, Lord, that your spirit works. I pray that he has worked already, but continue to work through the rest of this day and week. Father, give us opportunities. And help us, Lord, not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the gospel that is the power unto God to those who believe. You are a great God, and we thank you for who you are. And the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us and all mankind from all sin. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.